Welcome. We are so glad you've joined us today. Are you ready for another Bayside Christian Church podcast? Let's get straight into it. Matt and Rachel are away this weekend because it was Matt's dad's 60th birthday. So there was a family party on down at Bedesert. So that's, uh, they're away for a few days and catching up with family. Well, last Sunday we talked about spiritual armor. For those who are here, I pulled out my cricket helmet. Forgot to bring it today. But God wants us to walk with understanding of how to be covered in spiritual arms. So let's pick up the key verse in uh, Ephesians 6. If you weren't here uh, last week, you can jump online and uh, get that. But this is going to be part two. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, In conclusion, Paul's just preached the most amazing sermon through his letters throughout Ephesians. And then he says, In conclusion, be strong in the Lord, draw your strength from Him and be empowered through your union with Him and in the power of His boundless might. Put on the full armour of God, for His precepts are like the splendid armour of a heavily armed soldier, so that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural places. Therefore put on the complete armour of God, so that you will be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger, and having done everything that the crisis demands, to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, victorious, So stand firm and hold your ground. Sounds like there's no running away. Stand. Stand tall. Face life. Don't run away from it saying, oh, I just can't cope anymore. Hey, stand up and face life knowing that Jesus is in you and he's equipped you so you don't have to be filled with fear. God say, come on, some of you need to stand up and face the things that are trying to steal from your mind and your heart, that are trying to rob from your family, trying to rob from your destiny. You've got to stand up, keep standing and face forward and start moving forward with God's armor on you. And that's what God's calling us to do. And then he says, having tightened the wide band of truth, personal integrity and moral courage around your waist having put on the breastplate of righteousness, an upright heart, having strapped on your feet the gospel of peace in preparation to face the enemy with firm-footed stability and the readiness produced by the good news. Above all, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So last week we covered those, those four, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, and the protective shield of faith and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and we're going to talk about those today with all prayer and petition pray with specific requests at all times on every occasion and in every season in the spirit and with this in view stay alert with all perseverance and petition interceding in prayer for all God's people Father, bless your word. Let it just be truth to us. Let it bring strength to us. Let it bring revelation and understanding so our mindset shifts, our perspective changes, and we walk forward in confidence and victory in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So let's go to number five, the helmet of salvation. What's a helmet do? It covers your head, covers your mind and your thinking. Smith Wigglesworth, the famous man of God said, the devil knows if he can capture your thought life, he's won a mighty victory over you. Wow. So if he can get you thinking defeat and negativity or shame and failure or this is too hard or you're on your own and no one's there to help you, then he has a victory. Joyce Meyer says, strongholds are areas of thinking not based on truth but lies. Instead of protecting us, they actually imprison us. Unless we renew our mind, we risk continuing to believe those lies and making important decisions based on deception. That's what happens when you've got wrong thinking about God, about yourself, about others. You end up making wrong choices. You believe wrong things. They're misbeliefs, they're unbeliefs, they're wrong beliefs. And God wants our mind to be covered by the helmet of salvation. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So the battlefield's in your mind and sometimes you've just got to speak to your soul. Psalm as David said, my soul, why are you downcast? Put your hope in God and your mind is part of your soul, your mind, your will and your emotions. And sometimes he said to his soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He was speaking to his own mind and soul and says, come on, line up to what God's planned. Don't let thinking and feelings determine your destiny. They come and they go. But the psalm is saying, come on. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Come on, get your thinking in order. Get your heart focused on the right thing. Do not let yourself be overwhelmed or swamped by the negativity, the fear, the shame, all those things that come. And the battlefield is often in our mind and our thinking. All armies throughout history have recognized the vital need to protect the head. Very few um, movie, war movies don't have helmets on. You know, even back centuries ago, in medieval armies, they still had some sort of helmet. Some of them were weird and wonderful and crazy, but they had a helmet on. In our spiritual battle, we need to be diligent in putting the helmet of salvation in place. It's interesting that God calls it the helmet of salvation. He called it, should have, could have called it the helmet of protection, the helmet uh, that uh, does whatever, but he said it's the helmet of salvation. The word salvation in the Greek is soterion, which means saving delivering and bringing safety wow so that's one of the meanings of salvation it means saving delivering and bringing safety the greatest battleground we will sometimes face is only 20 centimeters wide our brain for some of us it might be less than 20 centimeters <laughs> some of it might be a little bit bigger but approximately that's the biggest battlefield we face in our life you wake up in the middle of the night worrying about things and you've got to bring your mind under and, and bring the Word of God in. You uh, get a pain in your body and if you let worry get a hold of you, 
you're planning your funeral. You know? I'm dying. No, you've got a headache and you need to get some sleep and maybe get some medical tests. You see, if you let your mind run, it will go down a negative track. It will go down a track of, a track of lack. Oh, we haven't got enough money and how are we going to survive and how are we going to get clothes for the kids? And before you know it, you're in Povertyville. You're living on the wrong street. Come on, let's get in line and live on Blessing Highway instead of Poverty Alley. It's so easy to let yourself be moved by the enemy to live in a wrong location in your head. God says, come on, get the helmet of salvation to protect. Because a helmet, when, when the enemy comes to try and attack in the natural, it will bounce off because the helmet will protect your head and your mind. God says, come on, we've got to learn how to do this. It's the battlefield of our mind. Victory in this area helps to determine our forward movement in God. And all of us know that. There's been time when we have got right thinking, not just positive thinking, but right thinking, truth thinking, and you move forward in a place of peace and rest. But when the other gets a hold of you, life gets hard. You don't want to get out of bed in the morning. Oh, work's terrible. The boss is horrible. There's a terrible atmosphere. And you've talked yourself out of having a good day before you've even got to the office. You know? Hey, there's some challenge at work. But God, you, you're pissing me, so I'm going to bring you up to that day. You say, change agent. You change the atmosphere and then you change you. And that's what God calls us to do. Second, seven, dispirity, or cowardice, or fear. So if you've got that rule in your life, you know it hasn't come from God. Given a good power of sound judgment and personal discipline. Uh-oh, that's that nasty word, discipline. We don't like the word discipline because it means you've got to get things in order. You can't just run with whatever you th think it feels good. Discipline. The word disciple, discipline are linked together. So if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, there's going to be some discipline in your life. And one of the areas is you're going to discipline your thinking not to let it rule you. And it says, the abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. Wow, that sounds like a good place to live. Well, we can. Ephesians 4.23. And be continually renewed in the spirit of your mind. So it's not just your thinking, but it's actual attitude and spirit of your mind and your heart that needs shifting. Because when you get to a place of the spirit of your mind says, I'm going to trust God regardless, that really helps line up your thoughts. So sometimes you're not just wrestling negative thoughts. You've got to get the spirit and heart say, I'm going to trust you and believe that your word's true. And when that's the spirit of your heart and mind, and then it's a lot easier to bring stray thoughts into line. And it goes on and says, um, having a fresh, untarnished mental and spiritual attitude and put on the new self, the regenerated and renewed nature created in God's image, God-like in the righteous and holiness of the truth, living in a way that expresses to God your gratitude for your salvation. Wow, there's some beautiful scriptures here. That's Ephesians 4, 23 and 24. And some of you know, you've battled this and you've come into place of victory and how awesome is it? You can put your head on the pillow at night, be at rest and peace with God and peace with everyone else and peace with yourself and you're off to go to sleep. But if you're not at peace with God and yourself and others, sleep evades you because you're thinking about, what sh I should have said this, I shouldn't have said that, I need to deal with this. And so you just are restless. And some people live life in a restless state instead of a place of peace and trust in God. And the enemy tries to bring us to stay in a restless place. But we've got to choose to say, God, teach me how to live in your freedom. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on God's whole armour, the armour of a heavily armed soldier which God supplies, 
that you may be able to successfully stand up against all the strategies and deceits of the enemy. And he tries to attack our minds. And some of us are more vulnerable than others. Some personality types. Some of us have been raised in a household where fear or strife or crisis was normal and we think that's how life's meant to be. And God says, hey, there's a better way. I've created to live in peace with purpose and forgiveness and hope. And God wants to teach us how to live in that place. And then when we live in it, the overflow helps other people to live in it. And we become carriers of it. The word strategies speaks of Satan's mind games. Wow. I don't watch some of those crazy movies that are all based on mind games. It does my head in. I just can't do them. Because I'm very visual and I just can't watch them because I can't get it out of my head. So I just don't watch it. I've never been able to watch uh, uh, violent movies or um, horror movies. I just can't. I can't watch them because it just does my head in. Because I know I have to protect my heart and protect my mind. So there's some things you have to learn to walk with wisdom and just protect yourself. Say, oh, everyone else can do it and they can get away with it. But you can't. When you follow Jesus, you've got to be disciplined about what you let go into the eye gate and into your ear gate, into your mind. Because if you're visual, if you've got a prophetic heart or you've got a compassionate heart, you'll get overwhelmed and you'll be distracted and you'll, your thinking processes get tarnished and damaged. But the good news is the Spirit of God can renew the spirit of your mind. And that's what He's doing in many of our hearts and our lives. 2 Corinthians 10.4 in the Amplified says, For the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overflow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. That's a powerful picture, hey? Some of you need to meditate on that and say, God, show me how to lead captive those thoughts of anxiety or fear or negativity or shame or lack or disapproval or rejection, whatever those triggers are in our minds or our hearts. God, show us our strategy to overcome the schemes of the enemy so we can bring those thoughts captive when they start to get stirred up in our hearts and our minds. You're not a failure just because you have a negative thought. But if you, if you partner with it and let it rule your life, then you are missing out on God's blessing for your life. And God's got better ways for us. And he's wanting us to grow, to be strong. Romans 12.2 says, And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed. I like this. So I think, well, if I give my life to Jesus, everything's just going to be automatically changed. Hey, your spirit's born again. You start the journey and now you've got the potential and the way to live in freedom. But you are being progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. So that when you get the word of God and you hang out with Christians, you'll find you'll start to think, speak, believe differently and your mind, your mindsets are being shifted and changed. Now sometimes they can be stubborn and sometimes the enemy sets up a stronghold because you've given in for so long to an area. Fear can be a natural thing or it can become a spiritual force if you keep giving into it. And that's why sometimes it needs a breaking and an addressing and a repenting saying, Lord, 
Forgive me for allowing fear to rule my mind and heart. And he will, and then he'll show you his strategies of how to overcome. So the helmet, we could go on all day about the helmet, but we're going to move on to the sword of the spirit, because this is really powerful. Get your sword out. Get your sword out. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living, active, full of power making it operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit, the completeness of a person, and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. Whoa, that's powerful. We need to do some teaching one day on the difference between body, soul and spirit and mind and heart and and all those areas because we need to understand how God's made us fearfully in his image. But it says the word of God will cut right through. Isn't it amazing? You're having a great day and you start reading the scripture and all of a sudden God convicts you. Hey, the way you're treating your family is not right. Say, what do you mean? If you open, the Holy Spirit say, well, you're just being selfish you're being rude, you're not being really listening to their heart, it's your way or the highway, and all of a sudden you think, okay, God, forgive me. And then you say, show me how to live in a better way. Because control usually is driven by fear. If you're a controller, or someone's trying to control you, it's nearly always fear underneath driving them because they don't want anyone to see really what they're like, so they just keep everyone under control and God wants to heal he says he doesn't give us a spirit of fear so he wants to heal our hearts and the word of God will find a way to get through our defenses we can be really good at justifying our bad well that's just the way I am that's just my personality rubbish if the word of God comes it'll divide you and you'll start to live by the fruit of the spirit instead of your old nature personality can be tied to old nature and don't use that as an excuse The Word of God says, I've made you a new creation. I will work with your beautiful personality because he's created, but he will redeem and restore and change the old nature into the new nature of Christ. And all of us have used that excuse. Well, that's just what our family's like. Well, if it's not Christ-like, it's not right, regardless. And the Spirit of God will start to nudge away at the selfish way or the angry way. Oh, yeah, all our family just get angry. Hey, anger can be an emotion out of control because you're upset because you're not getting your way. But then it can become a spiritual force. The the word of God says, deal with your anger. Don't let the sun go down, otherwise you give the devil a foothold. So anger can be a doorway for forces of darkness to start to destroy you and your family. God says, hey, there's a better way to live. And the word of God will show you how to let the old ways be cut out and the new ways become yours. The Greek word for the word in Hebrews 4.12 is not logos, but it's rima, which is a quickened word. So it's not just the written word, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes you read in the Bible, all of a sudden it just come, jumps off the page and grabs you. And the Holy Spirit says, come on, we've got to address this. Come on, you can do better than this. It's a quickened, inspired word by the Holy Spirit, the word and the Spirit working together. It's the word of God quickened for the certain situation 
which thrusts from our mouths into an onslaught from the enemy, disarms and destroys his schemes. So the word of God is powerful. What did Jesus do in the wilderness when the enemy tempted him? He said, it is written. Didn't get into big arguments and saying, well, you're a bad devil and I'm a good God and let's sort this out. No, he just said, it's written. We've got to get the word of God out and stop doing arguments with the schemes of the enemy. Just get the word of God out and the sword of spirit and cut off his lies and schemes. It's too many of us try to negotiate and with our old nature and with the schemes of the enemy. We've got to cut it off by the living word of God. His promises is like a sword. What does the word of, living word of God say about your situational battle? Find a promise from God's word. Believe it, declare it, pray it and receive the answer. The word of God is so powerful. Many of you have probably got testimonies to share of how God's promise or word has changed your life or your situation. This is one of the most amazing stories I've ever read about the power of the word of God. It's from Pastor Tim Hall, who's an evangelist that I know well and he wrote a book, Armed and Danger. He writes this story which just has so inspired me the last week. He tells a story, a man from Melbourne told Pastor Tim the terrible moment that confronted him when his surgeon informed him of the deadly seriousness of the headaches that had been confronting him. A fast-growing cancer in his brain would have to be surgically removed as soon as possible or he would die. The operation would be complex, dangerous and could result in blindness. He agreed to move ahead with the surgery but said he needed two weeks to go aside for prayer and personal preparation in the word of God. He was a Christian. For two weeks he went alone to a beach house and intensely studied and spoke aloud all the scriptures on healing he could find. Joshua 1, 7 to 9 says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So he, that's why he did this. Hours each day, the word of God flowed from his mouth. After two weeks, he returned to face the surgery. He told me that a strange certainty and confidence had filled him. He knew that God had stepped into his situation in a major way, yet he also felt he should still pr proceed with the surgery. <clears throat> Some people know they're healed and don't go ahead with the surgery. But he felt that God was still going to work, however, but he knew, had peace in his heart. He knew that as he had constantly meditated on and studied the word of God, a powerful sense of faith had gripped him. In Hebrews 10.23 it says, we read this powerful scripture, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. The words hold fast in Greek mean a strong holding down, and profession is the word homologia, which means same word. We are told to strongly hold on to the same declaration that God declares. My friend was indeed declaring what God said and not just what the medical report was saying. Like Abraham from the Old Testament, he did not be focused just on the seriousness of the circumstances, but kept speaking the words of promise over and over. The sword was being thrust by his own declaration into the cursed brain cancer that had raised itself in threat against his life. 
The promise kept coming to him over and over. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you will succeed. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn. This peace, righteousness, security and triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. So he kept reminding himself that healing was his heritage as a son of God. So after two weeks, he returned to Melbourne to undergo the surgery. During the preparation for surgery, he was advised that there was a strong chance of his sight being lost because of the location of the cancer near the optic part of his brain. There was a real chance he could wake up as a blind person. Wheeled into the operating theatre, he was entering a very uncertain future in the natural thinking mind, but after two weeks of using the two-edged sword of God's word into the cancer, a quiet certainty had replaced all anxiety. Waking up in the recovery room, he began to look around the room as his senses returned. He, he rejoiced that he was seeing perfectly. Into the room came the surgeon with a totally shocked look on his face. Emotionally moved, he explained how after removing a section of his skull in preparation, they had been stunned to find that a surgeon vastly superior in skill, had already been into the brain, removing the tumour and leaving stitches so amazing they were in awe. How amazing is that? <laughs> I just think, God, you're incredible. So Jesus not only healed it, but he stitched it up and left it there as a witness to the surgeons and to probably tens of thousands of people that are hearing this story and reading this story. Now, God doesn't always do it that way. He's unique, but how amazing is that? <laughs> the poor old surgeon <laughs> was stunned. <laughs> but that's what happened when he understood how to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. I think we just give up way too easy sometimes. We don't understand the power of the living word of God. It's powerful, energizing. Some of us battle stuff in our minds and our hearts, and we just give up too easy. I want to encourage you to find out God's promise for your life. Find out his word, memorize it, speak it, declare it, pray it, sing it, write it out, do whatever you have to do. And let the Word do its work by the Holy Spirit. Oh, there are victories for us to break through. Some have lost so much through health issues, through brokenness, through divorce, through trauma, through abuse. Hey, the Word of God is so powerful. Let the Holy Spirit take it and declare it. And don't give up until you see the breakthroughs. Or the Lord shows you another strategy to bring it to pass, whatever. Be led by the Spirit. The Word and the Spirit together are an amazing partnering. And then when you join in on that, there's the three of you. Something about Trinity, hey? Word, Spirit, and your Spirit joining together. And it becomes impenetrable from every scheme of the enemy, from every natural force of darkness. There is a power released that is kingdom of heaven on earth. 
And I believe that some of us have settled for way less. We've learnt to live with stuff that we don't need to live with. We've settled for stuff that we don't need to settle for. And when I read that story this week, something burst in my spirit. I said, God, forgive me where I've settled and compromised and just did some battling and it hasn't happened yet. And I think, oh, well, maybe one day it'll happen. I haven't given up hope, but I haven't kept using the sword of the Spirit like I should have. I can see some minds racing right now on God's strategies for you to keep breaking through. And see, when you win the battles like David defeated the lion and the bear, his own battles, then God trusted him to bring freedom for the whole nation. Some of us want to see breakthroughs for other people, but God's saying you need to learn to win these victories in your own mind and heart, and then I'll trust you with kingdom authority to set many more people free. You don't have to be perfect, but we need to keep growing like David learnt to defeat the lion and the bear. And then God says, okay, you're on a bigger field right now. Wow. I just love his word. I love his ways. And to wrap it all up, we've got those six spiritual armors. We've got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Shoes of the gospel of peace. We take up the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And then Paul says, okay, to wrap it all up, the last verse is powerful prayer. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray with specific requests at all times on every occasion and every season. I think that covers everything. In the spirit. With this in view, stay alert with all perseverance and petition, interceding in prayer for all God's people. Billy Sunday, an amazing um, evangelist in America, said, if you are strangers to prayer, you are strangers to power. Wow, that says it pretty powerful, eh? Prayer releases power. It gets authority working in your life. An old pastor many years ago said to me, churches that worship have freedom. Churches that pray have power and authority. And he said, if you can get both of them going together, watch out, devil. And God's teaching us how to have worship that releases freedom and presence. That's why we're so passionate about praise and worship and breakthrough and presence of God. Prayer plugs you into the authority and power of God. And together, it's an impenetrable force for the kingdom. Some will find you, pray, but there's an interesting where Jesus pulled a whip out all the time. This is all a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves and robbers and people off. It's actually one originating prayer. Actually, pray. It's probably prayer, but one of the connotations of that original word is prayer and praise. And that's what God's doing in our church, lifting us to flow in prayer and praise and worship. Freedom and authority is released where no scheme of the enemy can survive in that atmosphere, personally and corporately. Oh, God, this is so powerful. So powerful. We need to wrap it up. Yeah.
All prayer, it says petitions. That's particular requests. It says specific requests. It says at all times, on every occasion, every season. It says in the spirit. It says persevering and intercession. So I think that covers just about every type of prayer you can think of. And sometimes you'll move from one to the other. There's been times when I'm praying and it's just worship and adoration of God. Next minute you're moving into praying for specific requests for you or your family or one people you know. Next minute you're praying in the spirit and there's an intercession comes over your soul and you know you're interceding for our city or our nation or a breakthrough over things and God takes you on a journey. Don't just stay where you are in your prayer life. Let the Spirit of God take you into journeys where you move from stage and season. It's like changing gears. In the old car, we all got automatics now, but in the old car, you'd, you'd start off in first, then to second and third and fourth and fifth, and some cars have even got a sixth gear. I remember years ago, we got a car, a lease car, and uh, we drove all the way to Townsville and back with our family, and Tim, Tim had, or the teenager, or a bit older, and he says, how'd the new car go? I said, it was awesome. He said, how was fifth gear? I said, I didn't know it had a fifth gear. So I was revving up the highway in fourth gear, which was okay. Probably used an extra 10 litres of fuel because I didn't know there was a fifth cruising gear in the vehicle. (laughs) And I felt the Holy Spirit say, so many Christians live in first or second gear. Occasionally get to third and maybe fourth, but they rarely get into fifth or sixth gear and really get motoring. Lord, teach us how to pray and worship in the Spirit, how to walk with authority and know how to skillfully use the sword of the Spirit to cut through the schemes and lies against their own lives and other people and for their city. The answer to this city is hundreds of Christians on fire for God knowing how to walk in authority and freedom and releasing it over our city. That's the answer to this city. Yes, we need governance. Yes, we need medical help. We need education. But the real answer to change our world is Jesus released through our heart, our authority, our word, and his kingdom is revealed. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And God wants us to mature and grow up and, and not just be fighting our own battles all the time. Yes, we have to do those to grow in freedom, but then we've got to learn to release others. Carrying the presence of God. Whoa. John 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, your false steps, your offences, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored. The heartfelt, persistent prayer of a righteous man or a believer can accomplish much when put into action and made effective by God. It's dynamic and can have tremendous power. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, with the same physical, mental and spiritual limitations and shortcomings, he prayed earnestly for it to not to rain. It did not rain the earth for three and a half years. Woo! Then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the land produced its crops as usual. Now he was a prophet, had a particular mission, but I want to say we settled for way less than what God's called us often to live in. God wants us to pray individually like Elijah and Daniel and change nations And he wants us to pray together in groups and as church and churches corporately. Look what happened in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests, the elders, had said to them. (coughs) When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Then we go on a few more verses. He quotes some Old Testament verses. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly and moved into a great move of God that ran for decades across the Middle East and the known world. Wow. They understood individual prayer and authority and they understood the power of corporate prayer and worship together. Whew. Prayer brings intimacy with Jesus, releases authority for God's kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. That comes out of relationships, trust, faith, and understanding how the spirit and the word work. Worship team, come on up. Revelation 12, 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Whoa! Has been hurled down. Didn't just fall over. He was thrown down. And it says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, they weren't selfishly just praying for their own needs. They were believing for kingdom outcome. In the process, God will meet your needs in, along the journey. But it says, the enemy was hurled down. I love an Old Testament picture where there was this great big idol... And they brought the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, into this place. And the next morning, the huge big idol had fallen over in front of the Ark, the presence of God. So they stood it back up, thinking, hey, this is not right. If our people find this out, they're not going to believe us and trust our worship of the sun God, whoever they did. So they stood it back up. Some people stand back up the things their idols and trust they're going to still help them. Next night, the statue fell down. This time, its head and hands broke off. So next morning, they couldn't just prop it up anymore. And they realized that there was a power of the kingdom of God that was much greater than everything they trusted in. Folks, our city and our relationships need to know that there's a God way greater than every idol, every scheme, every work of the enemy that's torn and destroyed and locked people up in sin and shame. I need to know through our lives, individually and corporately, that there's a mighty God. Let's Thank you for joining us. The Bayside Christian Church community aims to transform our city and beyond with the life and power of Jesus Christ. If you want to know more or just keep in touch, check us out at www.basechristianchurch.com.au or follow us on our social media sites at Basechristianchurch.